Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Oh my gosh, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. It's Tuesday the 13th of November. And it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a shambles this morning. Shambles? And I rec- <laughs> I, I'm feeling shambolic and I do think... Shambolic. I know, what a, what a word. I think it's because it is the 13th of November. What's like, the deal with that? It's just like late in the year, I just mm. feel like I'm behind on everything. Christmas presents are starting to give me anxiety. <laughs> I know. Christmas presents. Well, I've already got yours. Ooh. Yeah, I got yours like three weeks ago. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> i I told you what it was already. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, so good. that's good. Okay. <laughs> Did you tell me when we were out? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. You'd had a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I already, I've already started seeing the like all of the Christmas decorations in the supermarkets. It's, it's happening. Wild. I know. Mm. But um, I do, I'd start early every year because my best friend lives in Germany and postage to Europe at this time of year is a nightmare. <laughs> um, so I should start soon. But yeah. So yeah. that's why you're in a sh- shambolic I, yeah, state. I, just, I don't know. I'm feeling, I, maybe, maybe Melbourne can see how they're feeling as well. But I just feel like it's been, there's just been a lot of like big things happening lately, shaking people up and um and, yeah. Mm. I don't know. True. And we're also a bit lonely in this room today. We are lonely. Maybe so that's also why. Anya and Diane are not here. <laughs> they I ghosted hope, on us. Well, I hope that they're both no. in bed. And yeah. Like, yeah. Um, they're but, in shambolic state as well. Well, Anya <laughs> is in a shambolic state for a good reason. Mm. Because this week, Anya is going up to... The Sisters Inside Imagining Abolition Conference in Brisbane. So Sisters Inside is a um, it's a pri- prison abolition advocacy group headed up by Debbie Kilroy, um, and they hold a conference every year. And Angela Davis um, is coming over from the US, and it's going to be incredible. Um, and Anya is presenting a report that she co-authored about uh, it is about I want to do it justice the pol- the use of police discretion in um, granting diversion to um, people in the criminal justice system, basically. So it's very, you know, we're very proud of her. And she's going up to present this at the conference. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what you were doing. <laughs> to find it. <laughs> and so she has today off to prep a little bit. And I know we're really proud of you and super mm-hmm. excited. And I'm very, very fortunate because I'll get to see it as well. Yeah. You better be live streaming it. <laughs> proud mum, me, is going to be... Waiting to see it. Mm, you need to teach me how to use the technology, but oh we'll gosh. see. <laughs> You've been doing well with Instagram. <laughs> can I live stream it on Instagram? Yeah, you can. Ooh, okay. <laughs> got options. So have you got some news headlines for yes, us? Yes, I do. 
So, the Democratic Republic of Congo is experiencing its worst outbreak of Ebola of the Ebola virus in the country's history. The death toll rising to more than 200, according to the country's health minister, since the outbreak began in August. SBS News reports that UN peacekeepers are asking armed groups not to prevent efforts to stop the spread of the disease. The health minister has stated that those trying to fight the disease have been facing threats, assaults, destruction of their equipment and kidnapping. This is a tenth outbreak of Ebola since it was first detected in 1976. Families of youths in detention in Darwin continue to be denied contact with their children. The children have been held in a Darwin City watch house since the Dondale uprising on Tuesday the 6th of November. In a press conference, the Northern Territory Police Minister, Nicole Manison, indicated that detainees would be moved to Dondale last week. Families called the Dondale Detention Centre and were informed that there are no detainees there. There have been indications that children incarcerated in the Alice Springs Youth Detention Centre will be transferred to Dondale. Families are deeply worried for their children and reject this option. Scott Morrison has claimed the mental health of the Burke Street attacker is being used as an excuse for his actions. Morrison, speaking with Network 10, stated that this bloke, radicalised here in Australia with extreme Islam, took a knife and cut down a fellow Australian in Burke Street. He was a terrorist. We can't give him excuses. ABC News reports that Morrison rejects the claim he is using the incident to incite racism and Islamophobia. The Australian National Imams Council Secretary told ABC Radio Melbourne it was really wrong and unfair to suggest his community wasn't doing enough to stop radicalisation. Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton and Mr Morrison are also using the incident to call for greater surveillance of encrypted messages with a bill to assist law enforcement and security agencies in accessing encrypted messages. That is so scary. Mm. Um, There was some funny, somebody in the Liberal Party, it might have been Julie Bishop, was talking about how how that will teach Malcolm Turnbull to use WhatsApp or something. Um, Never mind. Anyway, it was (laughs) funny, Malcolm Turnbull, when he was Minister for Communications, used to always tell people to get encrypted messaging software. Yeah. Um, He said WhatsApp and Signal were really good, and he always used to say, get a VPN, get a VPN. Um, And so now they're saying, well, that will teach him. Wow, <laughs> I can't remember if that was the exact verbatim. <laughs> um, and mm. I just wanted to mention one news headline really quickly, um, the, a story that broke um, yesterday evening. Um, the Herald Sun are reporting that uh, Angus McAlpine, who is the Greens candidate for Footscray in the state election, um, was the lead vocalist in an offensive rap crew whose lyrics reference date rape, domestic violence and drug dealing. Um so only the Herald Sun have reported that so far, so we are not sure if we'll hear more about it. Mm. Um, but, yeah. So that's it for news headlines. That is it. Did you want to have, you have a song, don't you? You do. I want to play, this is my favourite track at the moment. <clears throat> it's by solo artist Akenya, who is from Chicago. Her music crosses genres of jazz, hip-hop and pop, and she was also featured on No Name's debut album Telephone your fave (laughs) and so this particular track is called Decay
celebrate International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival. With over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones, come and try different inclusive sports, meet Paralympians and watch the AFL Wheelchair Challenge. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. Monday the 3rd of December from 10 till 3pm at Crown River Walk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. 3CR will be broadcasting live from the steps of the Victorian Parliament House in support of Defend and Extend Public Housing's 10-day vigil. Public housing, everybody's business. Join the Anarchist World this week at Parliament House, 10am to 11am, on two Wednesdays, the 14th and 21st of November. And yes, there is more. Also join Talk Back With Attitude at Parliament House, 10 to 11am, Thursday the 15th, and the 22nd of November. Welcome back. Ooh, welcome back <laughs> to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. We're joined on the line now by Tim O'Connor, who is a campaigns manager at Amnesty International Australia. Thanks for joining us this morning, Tim. Oh, it's a great pleasure, Lauren. So Amnesty recently published an article um, saying that the crackdowns on LGBT people in Indonesia have reached, quote-unquote, alarming levels. Is this something that Amnesty has been researching and monitoring for some time? Yeah, it is something we've been looking at for some time. Um, but what we've seen in the last, I guess really, you know, since the start of the year, it, there are occurrences of it, but there's been a, a really worrying um, crackdown and uh, arrests and also public humiliations uh, of people allegedly for their, their homosexual behaviour. Mm. I mean, the, latest, the latest incident was just um, a couple of weeks ago in Padang, in West Sumatra, where 10 people, you know, were engaged in Facebook, one of them, Two women posted a photo of themselves kissing, and that meant, ended up being ten people who were all friends on a page got uh, arrested and uh, were humiliated in public as well. Uh, it's uh, it's a really worrying trend. Yeah, and um, 
And I've I've noticed, and I should just actually say, content warning for anybody listening. Um, we will be talking about transphobia and um, violence against trans people in this article. I'm um, this article, this interview. Um, but there's some pretty worrying. Um, public humiliation and violence happening against transgender people as well, isn't there? Yeah, we saw saw in Arche earlier this year there were um was a dozen transgender women uh who were um working in beauty salons, um the the SAT pole and it's often the SAT pole that do here, so it's not the national police, which are known as the Polri, but the SAT Pole PP, which is sort of like the municipal police. I guess rangers are the sort of equivalent in Australia. They often um, you know, act differently to the the, um, the national police, and so they were responsible again here. They they took these twelve um, transgender people. They cut their hair um, and and forced them to wear men's clothes. And you know, again, it's another example. Um, there's been a number of crackdowns on Facebook for people um, who were. Uh, you know, facilitating Facebook pages or supposedly gay pages, um, where, where people, you know, police come kind of in the middle of the night and very public way, um, drag people out into the street and do all sorts of humiliations. And it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a huge challenge in a, in a country like Indonesia, which is very open and friendly. And I'm sure many people have been to Indonesia, but also is, is a predominantly Muslim country. And there's certainly pockets of, um, very conservative uh, Islam that are that are being practiced. I do want to talk a bit more about um, sort of, uh, I guess, cultural um, stuff in a second. But yeah. you mentioned the difference in sort of policing and these different levels of accountability, um, mm. and I'm interested in how, like, what the accountability structures are in Indonesia. In terms of, are we seeing government, judiciary, police? Are they kind of all on the same page here, or is this um, like an extrajudicial thing? How is this occurring in practice? Well, in you know, it differs across the country. I mean, most parts of Indonesia they don't have a sodomy law, so there's no national law. But in you know, conservative provinces where Sharia law, for instance, is practiced, like in in um, Aceh, um, it, it is a, it is you know, it's criminal to engage in sodomy. Um, but most most places in Indonesia, it's not um, currently uh, illegal to practice private, non-commercial homosexual acts um, amongst consenting adults. Yet, you know, of concern is that the Indonesian law doesn't protect the LGBTIQ community against discrimination and hate crimes. Um, you know, I mentioned Aceh and also a city in West Sumatra, Palembang, where a lot of these incidents have been documented by Amnesty. Um, there's two areas that we're looking at very closely and, and working with, um, you know, the, the community there to try and change those attitudes. Um, but, you know, the attitudes generally in Indonesia around homosexuality, are, um, it's still fairly hidden. It's not well, um, certainly not publicly discussed. I mean, same-sex marriage, of course, is not is not legal there and people that are engaged in same-sex relationships don't. Uh, have any of those supports that are available in countries like Australia, for instance. Hmm. And and so you mentioned earlier that some provinces are governed by Sharia law and some aren't. So um, the legal system's governing personal relationships and uh, personal law, as it's called, um, in those differing situations, that's different across the country? Yeah, yeah, that's correct, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, um, so similar to Australia, I guess we have you know, n- national laws, by the federal government, and particularly constitution, is very dominant in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also have, um, um, you know, state laws here, and, and you know, regional local government laws. It's the same situation. Yeah. Mm. 
Okay, so it sort of sounds like it's um, it's kind of a perfect storm of a lack of accountability and then a, a lack of consistency, but also perhaps what contributes to this not being put on the agenda is something worth protecting these people's um, sexuality in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, a really interesting national survey came out um, this year, sort of. You know, there's been a few smaller surveys conducted in Indonesia, but this was sort of large, you know, first large one, certainly that we're aware of. You know, over 1,200 people were interviewed for it. Mm. Uh, so only about, you know, less than 60% of people, um, you know, had even heard about LGBT communities. Mm. Um, you know, were even aware of it. And for, no, for those that knew about it, um, you know, 87% felt that LGBT was a threat to them. Um, 80% felt uncomfortable just living next door to someone. Mm. Um, and around, only around 50% could accept it if a family member is LGBT. And, you know, these sound pretty alarming, but compared to some of the other surveys and research that we'd seen previously, which again were done on a smaller scale, but, but, you know, these statistics actually suggest that things are improving. Mm. So shocking, I think, coming from a country, you know, like Australia, where in the main we don't have that discrimination um certainly there's still elements but um certainly nothing like you know the mm. uh, community faces in Indonesia yeah and that article mentions um something that i think invokes nightmares in a lot of people um this that the, some of the arrested people in Indonesia are being sent to education programs or these sort of re-education camp type situations um what can you tell us about these well, it's, yeah, the, the article talked about, um, yeah, um, yeah, and it's, it's really concerning. And I guess, we, you know, we don't know more about it. I was speaking to our research today to this quite closely. There's certainly nothing official or formal that exists in relation to this. And, and he was sort of comparing, and I guess, to the, um, you know, conversion therapy that, that, you know, would be probably more familiar with in Australia, you know, currently, in, in Australia, um, Amnesty is running a campaign around conversion therapy. Um, we've got, you know, Victoria is the only state in Australia that actually, you know, makes it illegal to try and, uh, officially convert people back from being, um, you know, gay. Um, and, you know, we really need to work very hard to ensure that all countries, uh, sorry, all states across Australia do um, outlaw this practice as well. So I would encourage people if they're out there to, to get online and get on the Amnesty website um, and put their name to to outlaw this, uh, you know, evil practice in Australia. But in Indonesia, in Indonesia we've got, um, certainly our researchers were reporting yesterday, a lot of anecdotal reports um, that people are being detained because of their sexuality and, and um, in some cases brutalised, tormented, humiliated, as, as we've discussed as well. They've been yelled at and abused, read the Koran. Um, but, you know, again, we're not aware of any formal programs that exist and something we are looking at very closely. Mm. And so if our listeners want um, to help support members of the LGBT community in Indonesia or otherwise show some kind of solidarity with them, what can they do? <clears throat> um, well, you can go to the Amnesty webpage, as I said. You know, the conversion therapy campaign running here in Australia is a really important one. Absolutely sign up to that. But there's also an opportunity on our website where you can... Um, you know, write letters of solidarity because the LGBTQR in Indonesia is, um, is, you know, it's, it's not really great, but you're up with these people when you're oh, and, uh, Sorry, Tim, you're just cutting out. 
Oh, sorry. That's okay. Could you go back over what you just said? Sorry, we missed it all. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was, I was um, attempting to say, you know, go to the Amnesty website um, and definitely, you know, sign up and show your support for, um, you know, outlawing conversion therapy in Australia. That is really important. But also there's the capacity um, through our website to support uh, activists in Indonesia and lawyers who are working and standing in solidarity with some of the people that are humiliated. Um, you know, that's a really brave role they're playing. They put themselves up to all, all kinds of challenges. Um, so, yeah, definitely encourage you to get online there and uh, and have a look at just amnesty.org.au. And we'd enormously appreciate your support. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Tim. Oh, it's a pleasure, Lauren. Thanks so much for, for sharing the story. And uh, if this segment raised anything for you that you feel like you need to talk about um, or you just want to get a bit of support, you can give QLife a call after 3 p.m. today on 1800 184 527. That's 1800 184 527. That's a queer-friendly support service. And if you need help outside of or if you need immediate assistance or outside of 3 p.m. to midnight, you can call Lifeline on 131114. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Fight for your mic. VCR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Enjoying it lately. Mm. That was Sports Bra. They're an awesome band from Sydney. Yeah. Um, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like bumping it all morning yesterday on my walk to work. <laughs> and what was the song before it? And the track before that was a remix of a song called Good Morning by Joyce Rice. Hmm. Hmm. So I believe it's time for. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or Let's get right down to the real nitty gritty. 
Back on Tuesday breakfast on 3CR mm. with George and Lauren. Hello. And it's time for Alternative News. And so today we want to talk about... Outrage. So <laughs> outraged. I feel like I aged 100 years overnight. I could not sleep. Mm. I was so angry lying there in a little fume um, after reading about... And I, I mentioned it earlier, but you know, for anybody who wasn't listening, um, Angus McAlpine, who is the Greens candidate for Footscray in the upcoming state election. Um, the Herald Sun has reported that he was a, um, under the, the name DJ Fatgut. Um, he was a rapper in a group called the Broken Aesthetics. Um, and I might actually just content warning this segment. Um, we'll be talking about sexual assault and um related things so maybe jump off and check back in in like 15 minutes if that's something you are not feeling up to listening to this morning um yeah but uh so he raps about i'll quote date rape drugs in her drink then have my way he talks about putting rohypnol in women's glasses and waiting for a few minutes for them to pass there is um raps about domestic violence raps about dealing drugs raps about a number of homophobic things. So basically he's come out and made a statement saying that he's no longer a part of the band, that didn't reflect his views then and they don't reflect his views now and they were written for shock value when he was young. He was in his early 20s. I don't buy it. I mean, No, what? nor do I. No. Sorry. Mm. And the Greens have also... Let me just find... Um, no, I can't find what I'm looking for now. Basically... The Greens have said, oh, sorry, the Greens on Monday night, the Herald Sun reports, stood by Mr. McAlpine. Um, <clears throat> that's all. They just stood by him. Okay. So, mm. and then, so, you know, we've got this happening. And then a couple of weeks ago, we had Joanna Nilsson, who was running in the upper house for the Victorian Greens, was forced to resign after Facebook posts emerged. This is reading from an Australian article. After Facebook posts emerged... Um, in which she boasted about shoplifting and drug use and likened women in the Liberal Party to Jews in the Nazi Party. So, um, I don't know. I feel like the Greens at the moment, there's just been a raft of sexual assault allegations and really horrific misogynistic behaviour that they just don't seem to be tackling head-on, acknowledging yeah. as a serious structural problem, copy, like actually doing something about, get rid of these people. Don't stand there and, and claim to be the progressive party, the progressive party in Australia, or the most progressive party in Australia, um, and allow misogynists to run for seats. Mm. Did this story just break yesterday? Yeah, it was last night. So I'm not, And we should also note that the, the only articles we can find about mm. it are in the Australian and the Herald Sun. Yeah, that's also, I mean, I, I guess that's a bit of a reminder that you have to always, you know, hold these politicians to account, even if they're ones that you might usually be in support of. Absolutely. If you are a news outlet who reported on Luke Foley's shocking behaviour um, and David Elliott's throwing of that, um, you know, of this whole situation out into the public sphere, if you reported on that, you should be reporting on this. Yeah. Because it's not just the Labour Party and it's not just the Liberal Party. Mm. But it's it's kind of hard to understand why the Greens would be backing him. 
Like, surely that's a bad move for them. I mean, my friend pointed out to me this morning when he could get a word in Edgeways um, that the period for I mean, they've already started sending out postal votes and all of the how to vote cards have been made. And I guess there must be some like closing off point or something. I'm not really sure how it works, but mm. like they can't get rid of him now, essentially, is is the idea. Though I do think this is something that they really need to reckon with. Like, mm. I'm not saying I'm not going to tell the Greens how to do their job, but as a woman and as a person who believes in a more progressive society, that believes in a more progressive society is possible to constantly be coming up against things like this from the people who purport to be our allies. It's really disappointing mm. and it's really, really enraging. Yeah, and it's also about taking responsibility. If this mm. is, you know, if he, so he he wrote this music, he should take responsibility for it and not mm. say, oh, that doesn't reflect my opinion at the time. To say, yes, it did, and I, I've learnt and I'm going to hold myself accountable for what I've done. Absolutely. Like, that's the, you know, the only way that you could start that conversation in an appropriate way. Yeah. Trying to deny all of it flat out just seems ridiculous. Well, it does, and it's, it shows that... Um, it really shows that he hasn't he hasn't learned anything. And if you think that talking about date rape in a positive way is anything approaching a joke or anything approaching just shock value and meaningless, then it shows a fundamental misunderstanding of violence against women and misogyny. And then I don't want you as my candidate. Mm. Like yeah. that at the end of the day, if you think it's funny to joke about that, then you have no idea. And apparently neither does the Greens. If a woman is thrown under the bus and forced to quit because she talked about doing nangs mm. on social media years ago, and it's the same thing. This is they, These posts were pulled of hers from years ago when she was talking about that. So why should she quit? Yeah. And his advocates violence against women and he is allowed to continue. Yeah, because... Often we see, you know, we see this happen time and time again where people, more often than not men, are protected in various institutions for this kind of behaviour. Mm. Jeffrey Rush will work again. His accuser will not, probably. Mm. You know? Mm. It's just... <laughs> so angry. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, hopefully if we, you know, keep talk- talking about this and in the media this conversation builds, maybe there will be some response to come out of it. But Yeah, it's an interesting... Um, I saw this article yesterday and there was a number of... Um, a number of employment lawyers were advocating for changes to defamation laws in the country in the wake of Me Too um, because they were right. saying that, that defamation laws are being used as like a, a tool by powerful men yes. to yeah. silence women in the wake of Me Too. And I thought that was yeah. really interesting. I mean, Jeffrey Rush is a case in point of that, Yeah, which is what the whole court case was about. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And now this Luke Foley threatening to, to sue for defamation as well, dragging the ABC into it, all of that. Um, and I do think maybe this rage that we're experiencing and this, this just overwhelming everywhere, no one seems to be a good person at the moment. But then we're seeing advocacy coming out of really interesting places that I hadn't necessarily thought of and in ways that we hadn't necessarily thought of, like mm. employment lawyers becoming champions of the Me Too movement. Mm. Who, like, who would have thought that that was going to happen? Um, but there's a really influential part of Australian society who's advocating for and qu- probably quite an effective law change as well, if if that was to be something... What what law change is that? They're just... I, and look, 
the article's really long and quite technical, but essentially they're just pointing out that defamation laws um, and the way that sexual assault allegations are interpreted and are met with in society um, mean that often women who, A, don't want to report but are exposed, or B, who do report in a way that they, you know, not necessarily publicly, it ends up falling on them and they end up being the ones that suffer. So how mm. can we increase legal protection around? Yeah. Mm. That's good to see. And there's also um, a push in Tasmania and the Northern mm. Territory to change those laws around uh, survivors being able to identify themselves yeah. publicly. I actually got into a huge Twitter battle with someone about that. Oh, moment. really? <laughs> yeah. Um, he was, uh, he's, a, he's a barrister and he was um, concerned that... That sort of leads to, um, like, extrajudicial, you know, it, it skips the justice system and it, it makes men um, it makes men vulnerable or it makes them into criminals before they've had a chance to, to be tried, I guess. Um, but the thing about the Tasmanian laws, and I don't know about the Northern Territory one, is even if the person has been convicted and even if they've served time and all of that for a sexual assault, you still can't name yourself. Mm. Which just doesn't make any sense, that you're not allowed to tell your own story. Mm. And, and say your name, you know, shouldn't everyone have the right to disclose that if they're consenting to that? I find that really hard to understand. It comes back to that thing about hidden violence against women, yeah. though, doesn't it? Yeah. And if it's hidden, um, we can be shocked and outraged at the incidents of, you know, Eurydice Dixon, but mm. ignore the fact that 66 women have been killed by their partners this year. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Like in certain cases when it happens, it's this national outrage. In mm. others, it's just another day. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, this conversation continues and, you know, we do really kind of call for this transparency with our politicians and that they should respond mm. appropriately when these cases come to light. Does the Greens even have a policy for dealing with... Well, this is the whole, yeah, um, it's been the issue because of their internal investigations into sexual assault. And I guess... You know, they are a smaller party, and I suppose Labour and... I don't even know if anybody in the LNP has ever accused anybody else in the LNP of mm. um, something like that. But certainly, you know, Bill Shorten had an allegation of sexual yeah. assault made against him, and there was a full investigation, and I'm not sure what their internal policies are like. But, yeah, hopefully yeah. all the parties do better. Yeah, it's not good enough. It's Absolutely, not. and you shouldn't have to choose between, of you know, course. if you are someone on the left side of politics, you shouldn't have to choose between not voting for them or mm. voting for someone who has been accused of, you know, mm. horrible things. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought I'd just give a number just to end off this segment for Casa House, if anything in that segment um, was distressing for you or anyone that you know. Uh, they are open 24 hours, seven days a week, and their counselling and support line is... Nine six three five three six one zero. That's nine six three five three six one zero. Are you eighteen years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last ten years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter.
Vote for your mic. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Fight for your mic. Black on black, 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 black on black, black, my thoughts so black, 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 I'm black, my skin is so black, I'm rocking that black on black, is black. black. Rims on this black, black wheels in this black, black. wheel with this black, black. black. so black on black on black on black on black, 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 black on black, black, my thoughts so black, 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 I'm black, my skin is so black, I'm rocking all black, everything is black. Rims on this black, wheels in this black, wheel with this black, black on black, 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 We'll be broadcasting live from the steps of the Victorian Parliament House in support of Defend and Extend Public Housing's 10-day vigil. Public housing, everybody's business. Join the Anarchist World this week at Parliament House, 10am to 11am, on two Wednesdays, the 14th and 21st of November. And yes, there is more. Also join Talk Back With Attitude at Parliament House, 10 to 11am, Thursday the 15th and the 22nd of November. Make public housing a significant issue for the forthcoming state election. Join us for these live broadcasts on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. Should have given you a warning. <laughs> Lauren's struggling with the microphone over there. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you and need I a visual. Just, I'm just defaming someone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Doing it all. There we go. That's better. <laughs> um, so you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. And that was just, um, that song was called Black, and it's by Buddy featuring ASAP Ferg. And it was Ayan's suggestion yes. from home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shout out, Ayan. So we wanted to just yes. let you guys know about something very exciting. Yes. Next week, on the 20th of November, it's Trans Day of Remembrance, and it will be Tuesday. So Tuesday Breakfast is going to have a special program um, dedicated to the day. Um, we'll be speaking with transgender historians, who else? Um, activists who can talk a lot about the history of trans activism mm-hmm. in this country. Yep. Um Two First Nations people called Sammy and Jeremy, who were recently in Melbourne for the Tilled mm. um, Trans and Gender Diverse Film Festival. Awesome. So they've they've already flown back to their homes in um, Brisbane and Darwin, but we're going to do a conference call with them both, which will be super exciting. Awesome. Yeah. And I think we're going to do some interviews with um, trans people of colour living in Victoria, just talking about their experiences in the current um, political climate and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um so we're interested in hearing from you guys. Yeah. Like, do you have questions that you – you are there things that you would like to know more about? Are there things that you want to hear these people's opinions on? Um, is there music that you think would suit the day? We have mm. some ideas, but we are super open to um, whatever you all think. So 
please, you can give the station a call um, on 94198377. You can email the station through the website. You can hit us up on Facebook. And we have Instagram. We do have Instagram. <laughs> um, neither one of us is particularly proficient, but there are people on the team. There are people who, checking our messages. Yes, there are. Um, and you can. We all have Twitter, so there are yes. a billion ways to find us. If, if there's stuff that you want to contribute, please, we would really love to yeah. hear from you. Any questions that you'd like us to ask mm. our guests? Like it doesn't matter, you know, whether or not you're an LGBTIQA plus person or not. If there's something that you just like us to talk about, we'd love to hear it. Because we'd love to have you know, community input on this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I should say you can also text. There is a 3CR SMS number. Oh, yeah. It is 0488-809-855. So many options. I know. <laughs> we are so contactable. It's wild. <laughs> in any case, we're very excited for next week mm. and hope you'll be able to tune in. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. So in the studio, we have... Oh, I better put your mics on as well. We have... Ariel Malecki and Sapphire Sol from Women's Health East. Ariel is the coordinator for the Speaking Out program as well. Thank you both so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. It's exciting <laughs> no to be here. <laughs> yeah, very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, firstly, can you tell us a little bit about Women's Health East for any of our listeners who might not be aware? Yeah, sure. So, Women's Health East is the Women's Health Promotion Agency for the Eastern Metro Region. Um, and so we're a primary prevention agency and our key priority areas are advancing gender equality, preventing violence against women and improving sexual and reproductive health. Um, and we do that work for all women, uh, anyone who identifies as a woman. Um, we work towards ending violence against women by addressing the underlying determinants of violence. Um, which are centred around power and control and gender inequality. Um, and so we do this through research and advocacy and all different primary prevention program activities and training. Um, and we mostly work in partnerships with organisations. Um, Women's Health East is the lead agency t- uh, for the Together for Equality and Respect partnership in Melbourne's East. Um, and this partnership includes over 30 organisations from across different sectors and diverse communities. Um, and their key work is to promote gender equality and prevent violence against women. Wow, that's such an important service. Mm. And so you're here today uh, specifically to talk about the Speaking Out program. Yeah, so the Speaking Out program is um, pretty much the only program at Women's Health East where we're actually working with people from the community. Apart from that, we work with organisations. Um, And the Speaking Up program trains and supports women who have experienced family violence or sexual assault or pretty much any gender-based violence to speak out to the media about their experiences, um, to the the media, but also at public events, at businesses. um, um, And, yeah, so we do this in partnership. um, We we, we run this organisation in partnership with ICASA, which is the Eastern Centre Against Sexual Assault, and the Eastern Domestic Violence Service, um, EDVOS, they're a massive support for us because it's critical um, in doing this work that the women that are advocating and speaking to the media are supported through that journey um, and to really be able to tell their stories and their truths, you know, while being supported is really important. So, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about the actual program. Mm. Yeah, I can re- yeah, I can really imagine that, that if you're sharing your story publicly, you really need to have that support as mm. well. Mm. And I really liked what I, um, I was reading on your website about, you know, 
and then obviously it's a very simple point, but I like that you start off by saying that um, speaking out acknowledges that violence is preventable mm-hmm. and that media advocacy is a really key way to kind of address it. Um, and so how do you see that? Can you elaborate on that, you know, the role of media advocacy? Yeah, well, I think, I think there's growing recognition of the evidence that violence against women um, is preventable. I mean, the violence... The violence that we see in the media and violence, I mean, I was just looking today at Destroy the Joint, they're an organisation that sort of count the amount of women who have been murdered. And so far this year, 60 women have been, at least 60 women have been murdered. And majority of those cases, the violence has been a choice that has been made by the perpetrator. And so our speaking out advocates... They tell their story um, um, and challenge commonly held beliefs around violence against women and they correct misconceptions and place the blame where it should actually mm. lie with the perpetrator. Um, you know, and by us, at the Speaking Out Advocates, they present at public events, they discuss family violence in business, they tell their stories to big media and, and when something happens, like a, a woman is murdered and the, and the media reports on it, Often the way it's reported, um, there's often victim blaming um, and harmful gender stereotypes are like interwoven in, into these articles. So speaking out advocates are trained and they're really awesome at, um, at really challenging those harm, harmful gender stereotypes that lay the foundation that make violence acceptable. Mm. Yeah, and I guess because the silence kind of implies that you have you should have something to hide, you know. Mm-hmm. Not that any survivor should have to tell their story, mm-hmm. but the fact that a lot of people live with that silence because they don't feel like they can speak publicly, it's so powerful that that is the approach where, you know, it's through the, the telling of these stories that you can educate people and change a lot of these myths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, Sapphire, so are, mm-hmm. you, are you one of the speaking out advocates, is that right? Yes. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your experience and what you personally hope to achieve through the Speaking Out program? Yeah, definitely. So my experience, um, I guess it started with day one. My dad didn't want to have girls. (laughs) So um, I was just born into a family where violence was accepted and it was the norm. Sorry. And also, um, as far as violence goes, discipline was considered healthy and good. But in my research, um, in order to help heal myself, I've noticed that um, the research shows that when you're smacking a child, what goes on in their brain is exactly the same as what veterans have going on in their brain when they're coming back from a war. So whether you think it's good or not because your parents did it or because your culture accepts it, what's going on inside the body of a child who's either getting disciplined or watching violence is not healthy. Mm. So I just really want to stand up and say it's not healthy because it's so accepted in religious communities, particularly, you know, you've got to strive for goodness and goodness comes through beating or smacking or disciplining. So that's one thing. Um, about where I've come from. Um, But then I also experienced um, a number of other forms of violence in relationships and also from strangers um, in the community, which were like mental, emotional, physical, sexual. So I've got a lot to talk about personally. But even if we don't go down that personal avenue, I'm really passionate about seeing the story change for women 
and really seeing them have mental equality, financial equality, emotional equality, and just taking away the stereotypes that women have to get their power through men or through other avenues other than simply saying, I'm a woman and I'm equal, so I should have what you have. Yeah, definitely. And I guess when you, if you grow up in a certain space where you see people around you that are experiencing these kinds of violence and you're experiencing it, then it's, it would take, it would be a process to kind of unlearn a lot of that and know what, what you're worth and what you deserve and that no one should be, should ever have to be in that situation, whether you're a child or an adult or whoever. And so that's why I want to share my story. So there's two points. One is neuroplasticity and the second is speaking out so about neuroplasticity and actually going back and healing my childhood and healing my experiences of trauma I had to do so much work to change my brain literally what's inside my skull I had to make new beliefs about who and what I am so I can actually express myself yes because my beliefs were so limiting and locked that I shouldn't speak up and I shouldn't ask for help so that's one thing you do need to change your brain if you've been through violence And the second thing about changing the story is that violence undermines you in the most subtle way. So if you experience violence, whether it's verbal violence or mental violence, this ripples through everything. How are you meant to go to work and actually do your best work when you have violence in another aspect of your life? So these ripples of violence carry through everything and they undermine your self-esteem. So I just want to talk out to women because I've made it through that journey and I'm still on a journey of healing to make sure that I'm still stepping into empowerment, not into old patterns. And it's pivotal that other women hear about this because unless you can see it, unless you have a role model, you you don't really know where to go. You don't know where to aim for. And men hear it too. Mm. That that they're you know that them control their controlling behaviours and their entitlement has such a deep and lasting effect on women and women that they probably care about. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and this I guess you know the speaking out aspect of this is so powerful because of those myths, you know, the idea that why doesn't someone just leave? When you can tell the story and say it's because all of these things around your confidence and the way you get beaten down emotionally by someone over years and years and years, you know, this is the reason why it's it's so difficult for some people. But if you were just to hear a story, you know, on a piece of paper, it would be quite hard to kind of understand that. And Mm. so for someone sharing their experience, it's just such a powerful thing to Mm. do for other people that are going through it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So just to give an example of that is like um, if you're constantly told at least weekly, oh, you're fat and ugly, you're fat and ugly, you're fat and ugly, when that turns to months to years, that's the kind of like insidiousness of mental violence, mental abuse and manipulation. So if you're constantly hearing that, unless you've got incredible, phenomenal self-talk on the inside, how are you actually going to perform happy and well and healthy uh, self-care? Yes, You're not. Absolutely. Because we're women criticise themselves inside anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're socialised to do that. Yeah, and Ari and I are both at WIRE, mm-hmm. um, and one of the things that we learn is that um, often... Um, the people that call in talk about the emotional abuse being the, the hardest thing to yeah. deal with both at the time but also in the years following on from that um, yeah. because it just continues, you know. 
and thoughts and feelings about so that. much about the context that we live in. So the expectations of uh, partners, friends, family, workplace, they don't see if you've got an emotionally broken leg. But if you've got a physically broken leg, of course they're going to hold the door open and of course they're going to say, no, don't try and carry Mm. that stack of books. Mm. But when it's an emotional broken leg, which is what the violence and the manipulation does, how do you see it? The person, they they just either, they don't respond well and you think, oh, you're rude. Why don't you talk to me? But it's not because they're rude. It's because their inner world is fragmented and hurting. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't see that on the outside. Yeah, and which obviously speaks to this bigger issue around mental health and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, and why it's so important to be able to explain, you know, what, what, it, what it means to go through these kinds of experiences. Yeah. Um, Ari, I'd just like to come back to you. So yeah. um, I wanted to ask you, so we're seeing these shifts in the conversation around violence and particularly intimate partner violence around who perpetrates and experiences it. So how does this program and Women's Health East more broadly aim to acknowledge this and advocate for all women and non-binary people who might be experiencing violence, so in terms of identities of class, race, gender, ability and sexuality? So, you know, we understand that there has generally been a very heteronormative framework for violence. Um, And it's been, it's really important to acknowledge that the evidence shows that violence perpetrated by men against women is at critical levels, but... However, representations of experiences of violence of all women and discrimination is really important and we ensure to embed um, diverse experiences in all of the work that we do at Women's Health East. Um, This year in our training, the last training that we held in Jude, we had women from a really diverse, um, from diverse backgrounds and when I say diverse backgrounds I don't just mean diverse cultural backgrounds or diverse religious backgrounds, we did have that, Um, but also with diverse experiences because it's really important that um, different forms of violence are able to be spoken to um, and and, and they all have common you know, methods of like, you know, f- fixing, you know, they, they all come back to power imbalances mm-hmm. and control. Yeah. Um, you know, one of our amazing advocates um, that just did our June training, she's a survivor um, of abuse by her ex-lesbian partner. Um, we'd want all stories of all women to be heard and to be centred in the decision making that concerns them. So at Women's Health East and in the Together for Equality and Respect Partnership, a key focus has been best practice around intersectionality. Um, and we're currently working on an amazing project around um, LGBTI family violence prevention. So it's a co-design project to support the development of respectful relationships and encourage mm. local providers to do the same. So I suppose um, the work that we do with in diversity and intersectionality is ever evolving um but it's it's really one of our one of our key focuses um and you know i I think we that we do a really good job um but of course you know it's always at the top of our priority to make sure that the voices of all women are being heard and in the training that we do and then again in the opportunities that come up we're really bringing that diverse um experience yeah um, and I like what you said about it being ongoing because mm. I guess, you know, we're all kind of learning as we're learning more about intersectionality um, and especially with organisations and institutions mm-hmm. about how we can kind of change and evolve as we're learning this new information, yeah, mm. which mm. is cool. Yeah. Um, and also kind of, I guess, coming back to the point about um, queer relationships and talking about silence. Mm-hmm. 
I can imagine, you know, that's obviously a big issue if, if there aren't sort of advocates to speak out about this particular form of family violence or intimate partner violence and how are you going to be able to name your own experience? Absolutely. And like, you know, I, I mean, talking about violence in queer relationships is one thing, but we also have women who have, um, you know, from, you know, from just looking at them, you might not see that you might not immediately see the intersecting forms of discrimination that yeah. they have been through in their lifetime and I'm sure Sapphire can talk to that but um, every woman has 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 an intersectional um, experience of violence it's just about um, talking about that um, and you know making everybody aware mm. of it and really making sure that that's a focus of the work that we do yes yeah mm. and so we're going to have to wrap up, but fortunately we'll probably get to have you on again mm. very soon mm-hmm. So because of the uh, 16 Days of Activism, which is coming up. Mm-hmm. But can you tell us a little bit about the 16 Days of Activism and the theme? So is it t- together for GE, is that right? Yeah, so the 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence starts on the 25th of November and it goes until the 10th of December. And during that time, all of the, um, well, Women's Health East will be coordinating a social media campaign that highlights the amazing work being done by um, many of our partner organisations in the region. Um, but I also know that the Women's Health Services across Victoria are doing amazing, amazing things across the 16 days. Um, and so what we're really trying to focus on is highlighting the amazing work that's being done, and hence that's hashtag of the together for um, the number four GE. Um, so, yeah, to really highlight these partnerships and the work that we're doing. Um, and the other element to the campaign that we're doing is um, to highlight um, Women's Health East's most valuable partners, which is our speaking out advocates. Um, so highlighting the stories of those advocates. But, um, you know, look out for the colour orange in the coming weeks and, um Look out for the Together for GE and 16 Days hashtags. Um, and, yeah, it's very happy to come back and talk to you more about that in the in the coming weeks. Fantastic. I'm excited to have you back on to discuss that. Awesome. Um, Irene Sapphire, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is a an issue that is very close to all of our hearts at Tuesday Breakfast, so mm-hmm. it's really um, it means a lot to be able to sit here with you both and have this discussion, and particularly for you, Sapphire, to, Sapphire, to share your experience with our listeners as well. We're very grateful for that. Thank you. No worries. It's been a great <laughs> opportunity, and I hope that other people are inspired to change first the story inside their heads. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody deserves to be hurt. Yeah. Ever. And if this is something that you're feeling or experiencing or you know people experiencing it, um, you can contact WIRE Women's Information. Their number is 1300 134 130. And also um, you can also contact Casa House and their contact number is 96353610. Tune in, dig deep and clean up by purchasing some fantastic discounted gardening books from 3CR's online garden store. We have books on water-wise gardening, organic vegetables, roses, climbers and creepers and even clematis. It's easy. Just go to our website, 3cr.org.au, and follow the links on the front page. Don't have internet access? Call the station during business hours between 9 and 5, and we'll post out a catalogue in the mail. All proceeds help keep Melbourne's favourite gardening show on air for another year. Tune in 7.30am every Sunday morning.
Welcome back to Tuesday Brekkie on 3CR Community Radio. You just heard um, an interview, an awesome interview, with Ariel Malecki and Sapphire Soul from Women's Health East. Um, thank you for that. Oh, no. <laughs> thank you. Sorry, we're just having a minor headphone issue. Community Radio at its finest. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, there we go. Uh, and we are... Very excited to be joined on the phone now by, um, sorry, bear with me, by Vanessa Gustillo, uh, who is a film major in creative arts and a member of the Western Edge, um, which Vanessa will be able to tell us a bit more about. Good morning, Vanessa. How are you guys? Oh, there we go. So um, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I understand you're in a play um, that is called Lee Butterfly, is that right? Lele. Ah, there's a spelling error in this question sheet I've got here. <laughs> so um, it sounds really amazing. Can you tell our listeners what the play is about? So our play Lele Butterfly is a adaptation of the original play, which is Antigone by Sophocles. And if people aren't aware of Antigone by Sophocles, the original uh, play is about Antigone who goes off and buries one of her brothers who um, her uncle has decreed not to bury him because he's a traitor um, and he's someone who isn't loyal um, to their family, etc., etc. And obviously Antigone being her, she goes off and she buries her brother regardless of the consequences because it's the right thing to do and essentially we worked around that um, that storyline and that concept and ours is more or less it's about a Samoan family because we actually have a lot of uh, Samoan people in our play so we brought that together and that's what uh, Lele means um, Lele means fly in in Samoan so we wanted to incorporate that into the title as well. And, yeah, so that's what our play is about. Um, ours is a little obviously different. Um, uh, I'm like, so my character, she kind of, she's going to be married into a Samoan family and her her best friend slash one of the brothers from the family gets killed. And like in the original, she does the same thing where she goes off and buries the brother and it is not allowed. And so a whole rippling effect, hence the whole uh, butterfly effect, is just from this little deed that she does, the consequences of her actions and everything around her kind of begins to unfold. Wow. Very, very cool. Um, and so in terms of bringing it, I guess, into the present day then, because <clears throat> Antigone was obviously written a really long time ago, and so you've you've brought it into the present day, you've sort of changed the cultural structure around it, it's no longer a Greek tragedy in the traditional sense, it's brought into this Samoan cultural experience. What sort of contemporary issues are you hoping that the play explores um, in the way that you're putting it on? Well... I think that we 
still have a lot of the main themes of the of Sophocles in there, and I think that no matter if it was an old play, it really still comes back into like contemporary issues because you know everyone's struggling with either someone they know that is in power and they're struggling. You know that could be at work, that could be. Um, at home, it's just kind of like a whole, and also like dealing with like mor- moral issues, you know, like dealing with should I do this? Is it the right thing to do? Kind of always questioning that. And I think that back in those days, back, um, I think the Greeks, to be fair, got it right. <laughs> Whereas, like, you know, it still comes back into everyday life. And um, the fact that it still does is just kind of like, to me, maybe it's a little bit worrying because it's like, are we really learning from the mistakes that they have shown us? Mm. But um, yeah, I think I think we we haven't steered far because I don't really think we need to steer far from from the themes that they have brought. Mm, those uh, human things about us um, just keep coming back, I guess. Um, yeah, and so one of the fantastic things about the story of Antigone um, is her herself, her spirit, um, and I love how my colleague Ayan has written it: her refusal to bend to the whim of patriarchal power. Um, but this, inevitably, in the end, is also her downfall. Is Antigone a feminist icon? Mm. Well. <laughs> Well, that's a that's a very good point. I wouldn't put it too much as it as she's an icon. I think she's definitely the she's a, an extremely strong willed, you know, woman who knows what she wants and knows what she wants out of life and but also knows herself. So, you know, one of the reasons why she does it is because her morals also tell her to do it. Like something higher Something more like above her is telling her, you know, this isn't right. This isn't right. I'm not going to leave one of my friends or my brothers out in the dirt to rot. And just because someone tell, tells me not to, you know, it's just like, but that's, but that's like a, you know, that's the biggest conflict, I think. But to her, it's not a conflict at all. Mm. You know, she doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who who is in power, who is in anything. The thing is that everyone has to be treated equal, no matter if they're dead or alive, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think she breaks out of that mold, and she she's something bigger. I I feel like mm. you know she's she's something to aspire to in terms of how we fit our morals into also following like this this social like this bigger society above us but with Antigone she refuses to do that and always go with her gut and always go with her morals and her values and I think that's something to aspire to I'm not sure if she's an icon but <laughs> she's definitely a strong woman to to have have you know to see and to look up to again. Mm. And so um, there's a lot of pressure on 
actors um, who are people of colour to represent their communities in a positive light um, and sort of um, Ayan's phrased it as hiding their dirty laundry from the public. Is that something that weighed heavily on your mind um, while you've been working on this play? Um, well, being of colour myself, my background is Filipino, but I was born here and born and raised in Melbourne. Um, to me, when it comes to like issues of community, I think that, especially when it comes to Samoan culture, they don't really hide anything, especially in day-to-day life. And I don't really think any culture hides anything. I think there's just a lack of, you know, people of color within film and especially within theater. I feel like theater is still quite, um, like, especially, like, the really you know, huge plays and et cetera, et cetera you know, the, the ones that go on Broadway and you know, musical theaters, they, they're all quite, they're still quite heavily white-based. I think that's just like a lack of um, people who, like a, a directors who really just want to see something real. And I'm going to give it to our director, Penny, who, Penny, uh, who just, she's like, <laughs> to me, she's like the biggest inspiration because she always wants to be real, especially without play. She never wanted anything to be, um, she never wanted anything to be like fake. She wanted any, uh, everything that came with the Samoan culture to be real. And obviously we have four Samoans in our, in our play, which they helped her out with. But I think it's always the direction that allows, allows that to be. And Penny is just an amazing storyteller. And she knows how to how to get a beautiful story out. I don't know. That's that mm. to me. And um, and I didn't have I didn't have any thing like that that weighed on my mind because I had full trust in our cast and our story to get this kind of message out. Yeah. And I think it's. Our setting, to me, is like the perfect kind of way to get that out. That's beautiful. And so we are going to have to leave it there, but if our listeners want to come and see the play, um, how can they get tickets? Where is it showing and when? Uh, we have a Facebook page, uh, Lele Butterfly. We've also got a uh, fly uh, hanging about. Um, but it is at the Footscray Community Arts Centre at... 6.30. We actually have uh, a couple of other shows surrounding our play, but it's at 6.30 at the Community Arts Centre this Friday. Um, I hope everyone comes because it's going to be fun and it's free entry. You can book tickets online, but I think a majority of people are just going to rock up. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, we will see you there. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me. What a program <laughs> for today. Can I play a song? Yeah. Um, this is for Anya. <laughs> it's got a couple of little swear words, I think. Little swears. Just uh, some little ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a warning. Um, it's 
by Janelle Monet, uh-huh. and it's called I Like That. Hey, you're <laughs> listening to Tuesday Becky on 3CR, and we are just wrapping up we our are. show. <laughs> and just a reminder that next week we'll be doing a special broadcast for Trans Day of Remembrance, so please tune in and please, as we said, get in touch if there's any topics you want us to cover or questions you want us yeah. to ask our guests. Um, you can SMS those on 0488098555. Yes. And you can also get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram. Or Twitter. Literally any of the social media <laughs> except Snapchat because I do not understand it. True. No, yeah. me neither. I don't have it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Have a lovely week. See you next week. Bye.